I will continue, as we continue with Romans 9, that, that um, it's this wonderful chapter, and as we said, almost a very controversial chapter, and, and, and as we deal with this issue, uh, we're going to try to pull a lot of uh, some strings together. As we, our, our, this is the third uh, passage, third time we've, we've kind of looked at this passage, Romans 9, 11 through 18, and we're going to try to pull a lot of this together, and hopefully it it'll all kind of... Uh, make sense and bring together so i ask you to uh, please be patient with me as we try to cover a lot of material this morning um start off by, by asking a question have you ever heard the, that old proverb the worst thing that you can do for someone is to give them exactly what they asked for my dad used to tell the story at an alcoa years ago he worked at alcoa and uh, he tells the story of an engineer who once walked into a machine shop and he had a a, a worn-out bolt, you know, and it was, I mean, it was completely worn out. The threads were worn. It was about ready to break. And he and this was not a very nice engineer, uh, very demanding. He walked in, and he, and he had this boat, and he walked up to the machine, and he says, I want a boat exactly like this. And and the machinist, uh, this is before you could run to a Home Depot and buy a new one, you know, so he the machinist had to make the boat. And he was trying to ask some questions, and, and, but the engineer, as I said, not a very nice guy, said, don't have time for questions. The operations operations being held up. I want a boat exactly like this, and I want it right now. And laid the boat down and walked off. Well, you can probably imagine what happened. When, uh, when the, the engineer came back to pick up the boat, the machinist had worked very hard to make a boat exactly like the one he had. He had made the boat and then very carefully wore it down until it was, it was worn exactly like the other one. And it was about ready to break exactly like the other one. He made the boat exactly like the one he had. He gave the man exactly what he wanted. And you know, often if you've, if you've been in the service industry at all, you often know there's a battle between do you give people what they want or do you give people what they think they want. And uh, this morning as we look at this passage and as we deal with Esau, and that, then that verse, Esau and Pharaoh, and that verse, Esau I've hated, we find out that uh, the difficulty of getting exactly what you want. Um, passage, Romans 9, 11 through 18. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that, depend, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Last week, we considered this, as we considered this passage, we saw that election is for a purpose, that God has a purpose of election, that this is his 
Showbread, we, we, we saw from a couple weeks that that word purpose literally means show table. That's what they use that same word. That this is God's showbread, uh, uh, revealing Himself. And, and we saw that, that when he, he told us, it's, there's a purpose in this. The older will serve the younger. He had the reason. God sometimes were accused in, in Reformed Church of saying that God just willy-nilly just picks whoever he wants to and says, I like you and I don't like you. And, and, and that's not, and, and Paul's saying that's not it. That's not what has happened here. This is not what, what's going on. There's a purpose for this. The older is going to serve the younger. As we said, this becomes so much more, so much more evident and so clear as we go on in, into Romans, that we're going to see this much more in chapter in the in the uh, following chapters that will deal with this. But there's a purpose, and and ultimately the purpose of this is for the glory of God. As we went back and read those those statements in the confession, that all of this is for the glory of God, which brings us to what it means by Jacob, I have loved. As I looked at, and this is sort of a review from last week, but it's worth going over again. When, when God said, Jacob I have loved, this does not mean that, that I love him so I'm going to make him rich. Or I love him so I'm going to give him a big family. Or I love him so that I'm going to give him healthy. That's not what he meant, as we saw last week, by Jacob I have loved. As we, as we looked last week, we saw in verse 15, in Romans, Romans 9, 15, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And we said that Paul was quoting from Exodus 33, where Moses asked God to show him his glory. Moses is saying, God, if I have found favor in your sight, let me see your glory. And we looked and we saw in Hebrews, that to ask to see God's glory was literally to ask to see Jesus Christ. Because he is, Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3 So Moses was not asking to see God himself. He had seen God. He had been on Mount Sinai. His face glowed from being in the presence of God. He met with God face to face as friend to friend in the Ten of Meetings. In that same chapter, it lays it out. So Moses wasn't asking to see God. He was asking to see God's glory. And God responds, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, he will reveal his glory on whom he chooses. The one he chooses is the one who gets to see God's glory or the one he loves. The, the evidence of God's love for Jacob is Jacob saw the glory of God. This is what it means by, by, by love. He saw God as glorious. And of course we know that this is salvation. This is the dividing line of salvation. We know it from, from 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Christ Jesus Lord, with ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When God loved Jacob, the evidence was he saw God as glorious. This is the glory of God. And same for you. So what does it mean for God to have mercy on you, to have compassion on you? What does it mean for God to love you? It means that light shines out of darkness and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But to help us better understand that, Paul also gives us this, the, the story of Esau and, and, and Pharaoh. He, he said, Esau I hated. And so, first of all, we're going to deal with the elephant in the room. As I told Jack this morning, you can't, you can't talk about this passage without having to, to, to acknowledge, the, uh, especially in our world today, I thought God loved everybody, doesn't he? Doesn't God love everybody? I mean, that's in our world. That, that's, that's our picture of God. Is this God's a sweet, kind, gentle man up there, and he just loves everybody exactly the same. I have Eli in my class, and, and, and this, this, is, this is Maddie to a T, isn't it? God loves everybody. She's very adamant about this. She gets angry if you say anything different. I mean, God is love. We know that. 1 John 4, 8. And if we are told to love our enemies, doesn't that mean that God loves us even when we're enemies to him? Because really the Bible never says, comes out flat out and says God loves everyone. But it does have John 3.16. For God so loved the world. So how can it be that if God loves everyone, how can it be, how can he hate Esau? How can God both love and hate at the same time? And you hear a whole lot, I mean, you hear a whole lot of people talk about this. And basically what they mean is, well, it's just, it's just a, a comparison sort of thing. And, and, and certainly there's some truth in that. But I think one of the big things we have to understand, and we've talked about it before, is that while God does love everyone, he does not love everyone the same way. That there's a wonderful book that if you've never read it, I strongly recommend it. It's by D.A. Carson. And it's called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And it's really, really small. I mean, really tiny. More of, a, more of a big track. But he does a great job with this. But basically he says, when you, when you speak of love, we always think of love as just love. And God just loves everyone. But, but you cannot say that God loves everybody the same way. No more than you can say as a, to me as a husband, that I am to love all women the same way. Trust me, my mm. wife does not want me to love all women this way I love her. That's right. A husband is to have a special love for his wife. Clearly, God has a special love for his bride. It's different than the love he has for everyone else. So God 
God does love everyone in a certain in a certain way. There's no question about it. But He does not love everyone in the same way. And He hated Esau. But what does that mean? How did He hate Esau? Did it mean He hated Esau and Esau was going to be poor all of his life? Well, no. He wasn't poor. Did he hate Esau and mean that Esau was going to have bad health and have a miserable life? No, that's not, that's not what it means either. Did he hate him and, and he wouldn't have any family or if he had family they would die suddenly or tragedy is going to happen? Is that what it meant by hating Esau? No, that wasn't it either. We know that didn't happen. Esau was rich and powerful and had a, and had a huge family. You know, and the interesting thing, if you looked at Esau, and if you looked at Jacob, by the world's standards, you wouldn't see any difference. They were both rich. They were both powerful. They both had large families. They both had wealth that, that just of, of their day. You would not see a difference in their lives here on earth. So what was the difference? The difference was... Esau did not see the glory of God. The difference was Esau saw God as worthless. He saw God as worthless. Hmm. You want to say, what do you mean? How, how, did, how did he see God as worthless? He saw God as worthless when he, when, when he sold the birthright for a bowl of soup. See, the birthright that Esau sold was never about land or property. The birthright was about God. The question was to Esau, 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 do you want God, do, do, you, want, do you want it to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Esau? Is that what you want? And to, to Esau's mind, that and a little begging would buy you a bowl of soup. Sort of like that old saying, that and a quarter will buy you a cup of coffee. It's a very, very old saying. A quarter won't buy much coffee anymore, will it? But to Esau's mind, the birthright and begging is worth a bowl of soup. He saw God as, as worthless. There's no worth in it. There's no value. It wasn't glorious. It wasn't something to be desired. It's not worth waiting for. It, 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 it's worthless. God was not glorious to him, just as with Pharaoh. God has mercy on whom he chooses, and he hardens whom he chooses. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. We all know the story of Pharaoh, also from the book of Exodus. We see in Exodus 5, 1 and 2, afterward, afterward after Moses had gotten the call and after he, after he had had his, his encounter with, with the, the angel on the road, he has Aaron there, and they've come up to... to uh, Pharaoh, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went 
and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Contrary to popular belief, Moses didn't just say, let my people go. This is what people often focus on, but this, not, this was not the message of Moses. Moses' what message was, let my people go so that they may worship me. Every time, that's a call. So let the, my people go so, they may, so that they may acknowledge my worth, that they may see who I am. You see, but Pharaoh did not see the glory of God. He didn't know who God, who is this God? He didn't see God as glorious. He didn't see God as great. Who is he? I don't, I don't know who he is. And we know the story. God proceeds to reveal himself to Pharaoh through successive plagues. We see one plague after another, and these plagues are on Egypt And all of these plagues are designed to reveal the glory of God. They're designed to look at and to see the glory of God. But Pharaoh refused to see the glory of God. He he never saw it. And we know from from Romans, and I encourage you to turn back to Romans chapter 1 as we see this. And I want you to read read this passage again, Romans 18. And I'm going to substitute Pharaoh in there. Because we see this played out. Because you know, everyone knows the story of Pharaoh, how, how, how God continually came and revealed himself to him and brought plague after plague after plague. And we see Pharaoh refusing to see it. And listen to Romans 1, 18 and following in, in the light of, this, of Pharaoh's life. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to Pharaoh. God says, look, I'm making it plain to you, Pharaoh. Look at who I am. Because God has shown it to him, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So he is without excuse. Pharaoh is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is Pharaoh. This is him. And this is everyone. But Paul said, look, this is what what it looks like to be hated by God. Here is God showing it, and, and Pharaoh refuses to see it. Going on, verse 25, or 24. Therefore... God gave them up to the lust of the hearts because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them to desirable, to dishonorable passions. 
For their, woman, for their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with men and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing the shameless acts and receiving themselves the due penalty. And since they, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is what hardening looks like. This is it. Pharaoh's heart was hardened to greater and greater sin. And as we saw, the penalty of sin is more sin. He refused to see the glory of God. So God gave him over to more and more and more sin. That's hardened. And this is what it looks like to be given over to a debased mind. And we saw that with Esau as well. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is writing to the church. And he says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see God. Back to this idea of seeing God. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. And we should read that verse, and, and, and this really should just, just hit us and, and, and almost causes, oh no, look at this. He saw it and there's no chance. For he saw it, even though he saw it with tears. If God had been merciful to Pharaoh, and if God had chosen to create light for the light to shine in his heart, then he would have seen God as glorious and worthwhile, and would have asked Moses if he could go with him to worship. See, you're right. That's a great God. Can I go with you? Can I worship with you? Can I, can I go with, and participate in that feast with you? Because he's glorious, and he's worthwhile. He's worth worshiping. But he didn't. Everyone whom God hates are left to their own desires, and they are without excuse. Because God is declaring himself everywhere, every day, and to everyone, and they refuse to see God as glorious. They refuse to see God as worthwhile. Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose, vo whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all, the through all the earth, their words to the end of the earth. God is declaring his glory all the time, everywhere. And they refuse to see it. Pharaoh did not want to see God's glory. He thought it would cost him. If he sees God, God as glorious, he, he saw it as a cost. Exodus 5, 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, 
Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. He said, he said if I see God as glorious, if I see God as who you say he is, I'm going to lose my labor force. They're not going to be able to build me my monuments. They're not going to be able to build me my cities. So, no, I'm not going to see that. It's going to cost too much for me to see God as glorious in his mind. And, you know, he was right in one thing. If we see God as glorious, it does cost. It would cost him everything he had. He would have lost everything, and he would have gained God, the owner of everything there is. For him to see God as glorious would be to see God as that treasure hidden in the field, or to see God as that pearl of great price. That's what it means to see God as glorious. Matthew thirteen forty four, The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. To Pharaoh, I I can't gain God. I'm going to lose my labor force. God was not worthwhile. He wasn't worth it. Is God glorious to you? Is He the pearl of great price, the treasure of the field? Or is He not worth the price of a bowl of soup? Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. One saw the glory of God and one didn't. They couldn't make themselves, they couldn't will themselves to see it or make themselves see it. As Paul said, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. He has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. So what does it mean for you if you don't see him as glorious this morning? And you may not. Does that mean it's too late for you? And there's nothing you can do. I mean, we read this, we read the the uh, Hebrews what it said about about Esau that it said Esau there was no place for repentance even though Esau saw it with tears. Does that mean if you don't see God as glorious this morning? Oh well, it's tough being you, isn't it? Is that what it means? Of course not. See, the problem with Esau was when he saw repentance. He really thought he deserved it. He thought he deserved the birthright. Listen to this. In, in, in back to Genesis 27, 36. Esau said, is, not, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me as he's talking to Isaac? He thought Jacob stole something that belonged to him. It's mine. I deserve it. It belongs to me. I have the right to see God's glory because I'm such a wonderful person. I have the right to see God's glory because, well, everybody knows I'm wonderful. (laughs) 
We do not call out for, as if we earned it or deserve it. Now, what happens if you don't see God as glorious? We call out, just as the beggar on the street, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. We call it as a beggar, not because we think we deserve it. I'll close with this story. Look at Luke 18, 35-43. And see this story in, in, in light of what we talked about. As Jesus, in Luke 18, 35, as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man, notice, this man's blind. He doesn't see. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And he heard a crowd going by. And he inquired what, what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we know God has mercy on him, he has mercy. And compassion on him, he has compassion. Here he is, he's crying out, have mercy on me. And those from in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Shh, shh, be quiet. Be, don't bother him. You're blind. This is the way you are. Stay that way. Be happy that way. It's just tough in you. Mm. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me see. Let me see. I just want to see. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God. He saw the glory of God. God had mercy on him and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. And when that man looks back on that, he knows it wasn't his will or his exertion. He knows he didn't deserve it. He was a beggar. He came as a beggar. He came in that broken and poor spirit. <coughs> and it was God's grace, that divine work on his heart. As he walks through it, he turns around and looks, and God says, I'm the one who did it all. I'm the one who opened your heart. I'm the one who, 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 who led you to be beside the road. I'm the one who was passing by. I did it all. I'm the one who changed your heart. This morning, if you, if you haven't seen God as glorious, if you haven't ever had that experience of seeing God as glorious, and, and as worthwhile, as precious. If you've only seen God as just a means to an end, as just a way to avoid hell, if that's it, if that's what, if that's what God has been to you, just, it's better than the alternative. That I, I encourage you, be that beggar on the street. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Let me see. I don't care if you've seen him a hundred times. And you might ask to see him better this morning. Mm -hmm. I just want to see God as more glorious this morning than I did yesterday.
Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And know at all times it is him who is working in your heart to call out to that. And the reality is every one of us there, guys. None of us are so at that place where we don't need to see a better vision of Christ. We're all on the journey. So don't, don't I better not. No, this, this is our prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Let me see. Let me see you in all your glory and all your grace.